This sermon was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. The Greatness of the Soul, Part 6 Part 6 By John Bunyan But how sin by the help of the soul destroys it. Secondly, that I may yet show you what a great thing sin is with the soul that is to be damned. I will show how sin, I will show how sin by the help of the soul is managed from the motion of sin even till it comes to the very act. For sin cannot come to an act without the help of the soul. The body doth little hear, as I shall further show you anon. There is then a motion of sin presented to the soul, and whether presented by sin itself or the devil, we will not at this time dispute. Motions of sin, and motions to sin there are, and always the end of the motions of sin are to prevail with the soul to help that motion into an act. But I say, there is a motion to sin move to the soul, or as James calls it, a conception. Now behold how the soul deals with this motion in order to the finishing of sin that death might follow. 1. This motion is taken notice of by the soul, but is not resisted nor striven against, only the soul lifts up its eyes upon it and sees that there is present a motion to sin, a motion of sin presented to the soul, that the soul might midwife it from the conception into the world. 2. Well, notice being taken that a motion to sin is present. What follows but that the fancy or imagination of the soul taketh it home to it, and doth not only look upon it, and behold it more narrowly, but begins to trick and trim up the sin to the pleasing of itself and of all the powers of the soul. That this is true is evident, because God findeth fault with the imagination as with that which lendeth to sin the first hand, and that giveth to it the first lift towards its being helped forward to act. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that is, many abominable actions were done. For all flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. But how came this to be so? Why, every imagination of the thoughts, or of the motions that were in the heart to sin, was evil, only evil, and that continuously. The imagination of the thoughts was evil, that is, such as tended not to deaden or stifle, but such as tended to animate and forward the motions or thoughts of sin into action. Every imagination of the thoughts, that which is here called a thought by Paul to the Romans, called a motion. Now the imagination should and would, had it been on God's side, so have conceived of this motion of and to sins, all to have presented it in all its features so ugly, so ill-favored, and so unreasonable a thing to the soul, that the soul should forthwith have let down the sluice, and pulled up the drawbridge, put a stop with greatest defiance. To the motion now under consideration, 
but the imagination being defiled it presently, at the very first view or noise of the motion of sin, so acted as to forward the bringing the said motion or thought into act. So then the thought of sin or motion thereto is first of all entertained by the imagination and fancy of the soul, and thence conveyed to the rest of the powers of the soul to be condemned, if the imagination be good, but to be helped forward to the act, if the imagination be evil. And thus the evil imagination helpeth the motion of and to sin towards the act, the act, even by dressing of it up in that guise and habit that may best delude the understanding, judgment, and conscience. And that is done after this manner. Suppose a motion of sin to commit fornication, to swear, to steal, to act covetously, or the like, be propounded to the fancy and imagination. The imagination, if evil, presently dresseth up this motion in that garb that best sweeteth with the nature of the sin. As if it be the lust of uncleanness, then is the motion to sin dressed up in all the imaginable pleasurableness of that sin. If to covetousness, then is the sin dressed up in the profits and honors that attend that sin, and so of theft and the like. But if the motion be to swear Hector or the like, then is that motion dressed up with valor and manliness. And so you may count of the rest of sinful motions, and thus being trimmed up like a Bartholomew baby, it is presented to all the rest of the powers of the soul, where with joint consent it is admired and embraced, to the firing and inflaming all the powers of the soul. And hence it is that men are said to inflame themselves with their idols under every green tree, and to be as fed horses, neighing after their neighbor's wife, for the imagination is such a forcible power that if it putteth forth itself to dress up and present a thing to the soul, whether that thing be evil or good, the rest of the faculties cannot withstand it. Therefore, when David prayed for the children of Israel, he said, I have seen with joy thy people, which are present here to offer willingly unto thee, that is, for preparations to build the temple. O Lord God, saith he, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. He knew that, as the imagination was prepared, so would the soul be moved, whether by evil or good. Therefore, as to this, he prays that their imagination might be engaged always with apprehensions of the beauteousness of the temple, that they might always, as now, offer willingly for its building. But as I said, when the imagination hath thus set forth sin to the rest of the faculties of the soul, they are presently entangled and fall into a flame of love thereto. This being done, it follows that a purpose to pursue this motion till it be brought unto act is the next thing that is resolved on. Thus Esau, after he had conceived of that profit that would accrue to him by murdering of his brother, fell the next way into a resolve to spill Jacob's blood. And Rebekah sent for Jacob and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. See also Jeremiah 49.30. Nor is this purpose to do an evil without its fruit, 
for he comforted himself in his evil purpose. Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. The purpose, therefore, being concluded, in the next place, the invention is diligently set to work to find out what means, methods, and ways will be thought best to bring this purpose into practice, and this motion to sin into action. Esau invented the death of his brother when his father was to be carried to his grave. David purposed to make Uriah father his bastard child by making of him drunk. Amnon purposed to ravish Tamar, and the means that he invented to do it were by feigning himself sick. Absalom purposed to kill Amnon and invented to do it at a feast. Judas purposed to sell Christ and invented to betray him in the absence of the people. The Jews purposed to kill Paul and invented to entreat the judge of a blandation to send for him, that they might murder him as he went. Thus you see how sin is, in the motion of it, handed through the soul. First, it comes into the fancy or imagination by which it is so presented to the soul as to inflame it with desire to bring it into act. So from this desire the soul proceedeth to a purpose of enjoying, and from a purpose of enjoying to inventing how, or by what means, it had best to attempt the accomplishing of it. But further, when the soul has thus far, by its wickedness, pursued the motion of sin to bring it into action, then to the last thing, to wit, to endeavors, to take the opportunity which, by the invention, is judged most convenient. So to endeavors it goes, till it has finished sin, and finished in finishing of that its own fearful damnation. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And who knows, but God and the soul, how many lets, hindrances, convictions, fears, frights, misgivings, and thoughts of the judgment of God, all this while are passing and repassing, when repassing, turning and returning, over the face of the soul, how many times the soul is made to start, look back, and tremble while it is pursuing the pleasure, profit, applause, or preferment that sin, when finished, promiseth to yield unto the soul. For God is such a lover of the soul that he seldom lets it go on in sin, but he cries to it, By his word and providences, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate, especially at first, until it shall have hardened itself, and so provoked him to give it up in sin-revenging judgment to its own ways and doings, its own ways and doings, which is the terriblest judgment under heaven. And this brings me to the third thing, the which I now will speak to. 3. As the soul receives, detains, entertains, and willy worketh to bring sin from the motion into act, so it abhorreth to be controlled and taken off of this work, my soul loathed them, says God, and their soul also abhorred me. My soul loathed them because they were so bad, and their souls abhorred me because I am so good. Sin, then, is the cause of the loss of the soul, because it hath set the soul, or rather, because the soul of love to sin 
hath set itself against God. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Through sin the soul sets itself against God. God, third, that you may the better perceive that the soul, through sin, has set itself against God, I will propose, and speak briefly to these two things. 1. The law. 2. The gospel. 1. For the law. God has given it for a rule of life, either as written in their natures or as inserted in the Holy Scriptures. I say for a rule of life to all the children of men, but what have men done, or how have they carried it to this law their Creator? Let us see, and that from the mouth of God Himself, one, they have not hearkened unto my words, two, they have forsaken my law, three, they have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. Four, they have not walked in my law, nor in my statutes. Five, her priests have violated my law. Six, and saith God, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Now, whence should all this disobedience arise, not from the unreasonableness of the commandment? but from the opposition that is lodged in us against God and the enmity that it entertains against goodness. Hence the apostle speaks of the enmity and says that men are enemies in their minds, their souls, as is manifest by wicked works. This, if men went no further, must needs be highly provoking to a just and holy God. Yea, so highly offensive is it that, to show the heat of his anger, he saith, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, and this evil with a witness of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile, that doth evil. That breaketh the law, for that evil he is crying out against now. But too, to speak of the gospel and of the carriage of sinful souls towards God under that dispensation. The gospel is a revelation of a sovereign remedy provided by God through Christ for the health and salvation of those that have made themselves objects of wrath by the breach of the law of works. This is manifest by all the scripture, but how doth the soul carry it towards God when he offereth to deal with it under and by this dispensation of grace? Why, just as it carried it under the law of works, they oppose, they contradict, they blaspheme, and forbid that this gospel be mentioned. What higher affront or contempt can be offered to God, and what greater disdain can be shown against the gospel? Yet all this, the poor soul, to its own wrong, offereth against the way of its own salvation, yell of its own salvation. As it is said in the word of truth, he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. But further, the soul despiseth not the gospel in that revelation of it only, but the great and chief bringer thereof, with the manner also of his bringing of it. The bringer, the great bringer of the gospel, is the good Lord Jesus Christ himself. He came and preached peace to them that the law proclaimed war against 
we came and preached peace to them that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And it is worth your observation to take notice how he came, and that was, and still is, as he is set forth in the word of the gospel. To wit, first as making peace himself to God for us, in and by the blood of his cross, and then as bearing, as set out by the gospel, the very characters of his sufferings before our faces in every tender of the gospel of his grace unto us, and to touch a little upon the dress in which, by the gospel, Christ presenteth unto us, while he offereth unto sinful souls his peace, by the tenders thereof. 1. He is set forth as born for us, to save our souls. 2. He is set forth before us as bearing of our sins for us, and suffering God's wrath for us. 3. He is set forth before us as fulfilling the law for us, and as bringing of everlasting righteousness to us for our covering. Again, as to the manner of his working out the salvation of sinners for them, that they might have peace and joy and heaven and glory forever. 1. He is set forth as sweating of blood while he was in his agony, wrestling with the thoughts of death which he was to suffer for our sins, that he might save the soul. 2. He is set forth as crying, weeping, and mourning under the lashes of justice that he put himself under, and was willing to bear for our sins. 3. He is set forth as betrayed, apprehended, condemned, spit on, scourged, buffeted, mocked, crowned with thorns, crucified, pierced with nails and a spear, to save the soul from being betrayed by the devil and sin, to save it from being apprehended by justice and condemned by the law, to save it from being spit on in a way of contempt by holiness, to save it from being scourged with guilt of sins as with scorpions, to save it from being continually buffeted by its own conscience, to save it from being mocked at by God, to save it from being crowned with ignominy and shame forever, to save it from dying the second death, to save it from wounds and grief forever. Dost thou understand me, sinful soul? He wrestled with justice, that thou mightest have rest. He wept and mourned, that thou mightest laugh and rejoice. He was betrayed, that thou mightest go free was apprehended that thou mightest escape. He was condemned that thou mightest be justified and was killed that thou mightest live. He wore a crown of thorns that thou mightest wear a crown of glory and was nailed to the cross with his arms wide open to show with what freeness all his merits shall be bestowed on the coming soul and how heartily he will receive it into his bosom. Further all this he did of mere goodwill, and offereth the benefit thereof unto thee freely, freely. Yea, he cometh unto thee, in the word of the gospel, with the blood running down from his head upon his face, with his tears abiding upon his cheeks, with the holes as fresh in his hands at his feet, and as with the blood still bubbling out of his side, to pray thee to accept of the benefit, and to be reconciled to God thereby. But what saith the sinful soul to this? I do not ask what he saith with his lips, for he will assuredly flatter God with his mouth. 
But what doth his actions and carriages declare as to his acceptance of this incomparable benefit? For a wicked man speaketh with his feet, and teacheth with his fingers, with his feet, that is, by the way he goeth, and with his fingers, that is, by his acts and doings. So then, what saith he by his goings, by his sets and doings, unto this incomparable benefit, thus brought unto him from the Father, by his only Son, Jesus Christ? What saith he? Why? He saith that he doth not at all regard this Christ, nor value the grace thus tendered unto him in the gospel. One, he saith, that he regardeth not this Christ, that he seeth nothing in him why he should admit him to be entertained in his affections. Therefore the prophet, speaking in the person of sinners, says, He, Christ, hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. And then adds, to show what he meaneth by his thus speaking, saying, He is despised and rejected of men. All this is spoken with reference to his person, and it was eminently fulfilled upon him in the days of his flesh, when he was hated, maligned, and persecuted to death by sinners, and is still fulfilled in the souls of sinners, in that they cannot abide to think of him with thoughts that have a tendency in them to separate them and their lusts asunder, and to the making of them to embrace him for their darling, and the taking up of their cross to follow him, all this sinners speak out with loud voices, in that they stop their ears and shut their eyes as to him, but open them wide and hearken diligently to anything that pleaseth the flesh, and that is a nursery to sin. But, too, as they despise and reject and do not regard his person, so they do not value the grace that he tendereth unto them by the gospel. This is plain by that indifferency of spirit that always attends them when, at any time they hear thereof, or when it is presented unto them. I may safely say that the most of men who are concerned in a trade will be more vigilant in dealing with a twelve-penny customer than they will be with Christ when he comes to make unto them, by the gospel, a tender of the incomparable grace of God. Hence they are called fools, because a price is put into their hands to get wisdom, and they have no heart unto it. And hence, again, it is that that bitter complaint is made. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. Now these things being found as practiced by the souls of sinners must needs, after a wonderful manner, provoke. Wherefore, no marvel that the heavens are bid to be astonished at this, and that damnation shall seize upon the soul for this. And indeed the soul that doth thus by practice, though with his mouth, as who doth not, he shall show much love he doth interpretively say these things. One, that he loveth sin better than grace, and darkness better than light, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed. And this is the condemnation, that light is common to the world, and men love darkness more than light as is manifest, because their deeds were evil. Two, they do also, by their thus rejecting of Christ and grace, say that for what the law can do to them, they value it not. 
They regard not its thundering threatenings, nor will they shrink when they come to endure the execution thereof. Wherefore God, to deter them from such bold and desperate ways that do, interpretively, fully declare that they make such desperate conclusions, insinuates that the burden of the curse thereof is intolerable, saying, Can thine heart endure, or can thine hands be strong, in the days that I shall deal with thee? I, the Lord, have spoken it, and will do it. Three, yea, by their thus doing, they do as good as say that they will run the hazard of a sentence of death at the day of judgment, and that they will, in the meantime, join issue and stand a trial at that day with the great and terrible God. What else means their not hearkening to him, their despising of his Son, and the rejecting of his grace? Yea, I say again, what else means their slighting of the curse of the law, and their choosing to abide in their sins till the day of death and judgment? And thus I have showed you the causes of the loss of the soul, and assuredly these things are no fables. Objection. But some may object and say, But you denounce all against the soul. The soul, as if the body were in no fault at all, or as if there were no punishment assigned for the body. Answer one. The soul must be the part punished, because the soul is that which sins. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, fornication or adultery excepted, is without the body, that is, as to the willy inventing, contriving, and finding out ways to bring the motions of sin into action. For, alas, what can the body do as to these? It is in a manner wholly passive. Yea, altogether as to the lusting and purposing to do the wickedness, accepting the sin before accepted, I and not accepting that, as to the rise of that sin. For even that with all the rest ariseth and proceedeth out of the heart, the soul. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man, that is, the outward man. But a difference must always be put betwixt defiling and being defiled, that which defileth being the worst. Not but that the body shall have its share of judgment, for body and soul must be destroyed in hell. The body as the instrument, the soul as the actor, but, oh, the soul, the soul, the soul is the sinner, and therefore the soul, as the principle, must be punished. And that God's indignation burneth most against the soul, appears in that death hath seized upon every soul already. For the scripture saith that every natural or unconverted man is dead, dead. How? Is his body dead? No, verily, his body liveth, but his soul is dead, dead. But with what death? Dead to God, and to all things gospelly good, by reason of that benumbing, stupefying, and senselessness, that by God's just judgment for and by sin, hath swallowed up the soul. 
Yea, if you observe, you shall see that the soul goeth first, or before, in punishment, not only by what has been said already, in that the soul is first made a partaker of death, but in that God first deals with the soul by convictions, yea, and terrors perhaps while the body is well, or in that he giveth up the soul to judicial hardness and further blindness, while he leaveth the body to do his office in the world. Yea, and also when the day of death and dissolution is come, the body is spared, while the soul is tormented in unutterable torment in hell. And so, I say, it shall be spared, and the clods of the valley shall be sweet unto it, while the soul mourneth in hell for sin. It is true, at the day of judgment, because that is the last and final judgment of God on men, then the body and soul shall be reunited, or joined together again, and shall then together again, or partake of that recompense for their wickedness, which is meat. When I say, the body is spared and the soul tormented, I mean not that the body is not then at death, made to partake of the wages of sin, for the wages of sin is death. But I mean the body partakes then, but of temporal death, which as to sense and feeling is sometimes over presently, and then resteth in the grave, while the soul is tormenting in hell. Yea, and why is death suffered to slay the body? I dare say, not chiefly for that the indignation of God most burneth against the body. But the body being the house for the soul in this world, God even pulls down this body, that the soul may be stripped naked, and being stripped may be carried to prison, to the place where damned souls are, there to suffer in the beginning of suffering, that punishment that will be endless.